2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Thanks to Africa. It's Friday the 12th of January and this is Game On. There's wall-to-wall Champions Cup this weekend. Shane Burns sets us up for a busy one for the Irish provinces. Could Evan Ferguson be on the way to Chelsea? Alan Cawley and Fergal Brennan will give us their views. Plus, Jane Mangan will have all the racing to look forward to this weekend. If you want to get in touch, please text us on 51552 or you can find us on X at GameOn2FM. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome along. We have a lot to get through this evening. Alan Cawley will be joining us very, very shortly. Um, He's going to be going through all of the football and the snooker as well because he is an avid fan. We'll have rugby and we will have some reaction to Jim McGuinness and his ban been overturned after appeal. But we're going to start with golf. Rory McIlroy maintained his two-shot lead in the Dubai Invitational after battling from a shock quadruple bogey in round two. Speaking afterwards, he said that if you look at the other 17 holes that I played, I think I played very well. I hit some good shots. Let's hear from Rory. If I look at the other 17 holes that I played, I played very, very well again. I uh, hit some good iron shots and played not too dissimilarly to the way I played yesterday. I, I maybe held a, a couple more putts yesterday. But the conditions were getting a little trickier. Wind was up, greens were firm, and a couple of miscues on the eighth hole, which was, you know, I felt like I did well just to get my head back into it and, and play some solid golf on the way in. And, you know, everyone seemed to find it a little more difficult today than yesterday. So, you know, it's nice to go into the weekend still with, with the lead. Yeah, a phenomenal 62 yesterday. I'd imagine a sense of calm as well, knowing that you can make those birdies. But how important was that bounce back birdie on 10 today? Yeah, 10 was big. I had a chance to bounce back on nine that I that I missed, but 10 was big. The two shots into 13 were were, were big too, and to make you know two relatively easy birdies. And then I give you know I, I give myself chances most of the back nine, which which was nice, and uh, you know was able to convert a couple of them before the you know that that tough finishing stretch there on uh, 17 and 18. Now, hopefully Roy McRoy will have a good weekend in Dubai. We're going to turn our attention to rugby now. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, it is going to be a really busy one on the Champions Cup front. And to talk us through how it might all play out, Shane Byrne joins us on the line. How are you, Shane? I'm very well, and yourself? Good. Thank you so much for joining us on this very cold Friday. It's one of those weekends for just sitting in and watching everything that's on TV. I'd imagine, are you going to be doing that, Shane? I'm actually going to be at the game. I'm going oh, to be at the Leicester game. But yes, I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, there's a bit of a, an old boys Leinster reunion. So uh, we're going to have a bit of fun <laughs> after the game. Hopefully, that'll be something to celebrate. And is there a date on the reunion, a certain amount of years? Or is it just everybody meeting up? Can you ask those things Everybody. Now? Yeah, no, it's it going back as far as anyone that's still kicking. All right. They're all welcome. <laughs> and uh, No, it's a great it's a great thing the rugby players Ireland are putting together. And... Um, all of the provinces are going to have this kind of a uh, for ex-players get-togethers and making sure everyone's all right and seeing old friends, old friends and pals. Yeah, and I'd say no doubt sharing opinions as well because um, there yes. are so much going on, and we might as well start with Leinster then and uh, playing mm-hmm. Stad Francais. Leo, of course, up speaking to the media, Leo Cullen uh, this week. Let's hear from him. It's a tough period to navigate, isn't it? Like a lot of big games over the Christmas period. Yet to, so to have some fresh energy in the group and they've trained the last couple of weeks is probably the more important piece. Harry Byrne wasn't at the captain's run just gave a knock. Yeah, he got injured unfortunately during the week. Hopefully it's minor enough. He rolled his ankle so 
but yeah, he wasn't in the frame for selection basically. But yeah, like he's unfortunate. Yeah, he, he would likely would have been involved. We, we we've chopped and changed the team over the last couple of games, and for James, also he was, was due to play against Ulster, then pulled out late. So a we want to just get him through the week training, so he's come through okay, and yeah, I think he'll improve. He'll provide good impact for us as well. In these games, it's making sure that we try to get as much as we possibly can from them. We're frustrated with how we probably went in our last home game, especially considering, you know, we're at a sold-out RDS and we want to deliver a better account of ourselves, really. It wasn't the way we wanted to start 2024, so we get another opportunity here tomorrow and hopefully we have a better 80-minute performances. That's interesting here, Leo. Uh sound so uh, determined to, to make amends because it's not often that Leinster do have those performances when they, they leave things behind them and that but they have such a good opportunity Shane when they're coming up against a Stad team who's suffered defeats to um, Sale Sharks and to yes. Leicester Tigers they're going to need things to go their own way but Leo Cullen doesn't sound like he's going to let that happen Well no he's not he's not taking anything by chance like that is a very strong side mm-hmm. that's uh, that's named out. There's very few weaknesses. You would go some of the really strong partnerships. The the Henshaw Ringrose partnership is back on. Uh, it's great to see James Lowe back from an Irish rugby point of view, running into near Six Nations time, and that fantastic back row, Baird Van der Fleer and Darris. You know, there's so much on the bench has huge impact to come on. And James Ryan, as we said, as Leo said, just getting him through the week and in to get some game time on. Like it's a super side. It it's a shame. Uh, Stade de France is sitting third in the French league. Um, with the way the results have gone, unfortunately, they're not sending over their best side. Okay, look, that can still be a banana skin. There's no doubt about that. We've got to be very careful with that. But I think with the side that he's picked and the result that Leinster had on the last outing uh, in the URC, I think you're going to see a very very focused Leinster side. It's such bad timing for Harry Byrne, isn't it? And you just have to, mm. to feel for anybody that gets injured. But it does feel like staying fit can be such a challenge for him. Yeah, and it's it's such a hot time. You know, it's probably wrong way of putting it, but it really is because that 10 slot mm-hmm. above with Ireland and with Leinster is available. And it's really who's settling into that. And every minute of game time is there because it's so wide open particularly with a couple of injuries that are out there throughout the guys all fighting for the position. So, yeah, so your heart has to go out to him. But a great opportunity for Kieran Frawley. Mm. And you, um, yeah. he, go for it. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say, so do you think that's where he should be playing? Oh. <laughs> million dollar he's one question. of these guys, yeah, he's one of these guys that just slots in wherever he's needed. And um, yes, I wouldn't have a problem if that's the, si- that's the position that he picked. But in all likelihood, if everybody was fit and everything, you would probably see him somewhere else. I, I, do, I don't know. I, I haven't really made my mind up on who would be sticking their head above. Obviously, we're all still waiting on to see if Sam Pennegrass is going to be mm-hmm. the future coming forward. But um, obviously not right now. There's plenty of time to come for him. But uh, Kieran Frawley is getting plenty of time. And I think... Like I wouldn't have a problem with them settling there, but yeah, some people call it the an Achilles heel. Really, if you're if you're good in so many different positions, but uh, if he's and makes him so important to the squad, but it certainly doesn't take away whenever he does it that ten shirt on. You know you're gonna go, you're gonna get a good performance out of him. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure though, isn't it? Like having that kind of conversation around where you should be and then when you do get an opportunity to mm. play some in the position you want to, the expectations are that I'm sure he's putting on himself are, are going to be massive. But look, hopefully it'll go well for him because 
there is a great opportunity now to take hold of that jersey and it's such a big year in Irish rugby as well so look who knows uh, let's move yeah. on to Leinster um, just heading into this Champions Cup it felt like there was going to be a bit of a fight a bit of a bite in Munster it hasn't gone the way that they have wanted so far um, mm. they but it, like it's still early enough like they could still become contenders at the end but they really need to start their fight back this weekend um, don't they Shane? Oh, what a tale of woe they've had. Mm-hmm. You know, those games going awry, a draw and a loss is not exactly what they wanted. Particularly the draw, you would have say, really stole a bit of their, their steam out of it. But they've, and their injuries, they have had, like, what are we down, what are we up to now? 17, 18 players in their squad that are injured. But when you look at that team, this is a good team that they have selected. This is a team that can go out and really put a surprise on you know uh, Toulon are fifth just mid-table and um, but obviously very very proud home and of the record so Munster would really need to go down and pull out the best performance they've had in the Champions Cup so far but it's it's a good side I suppose the headline grabber is Peter O'Mahony yeah. back you know that's superb to see and again from an Irish point of view timing is is excellent but he is the the spiritual leader of that side and um you know as well as the physical leader he actually you know really does lead by example and a lot of talk about Tom Ahern and his, Gavin Coombs like Coombs back in the the back row where he belongs and a lot of expectation on on Tom Ahern you know the big man that he is but look there's plenty of firepower there you have Calvin Ash grabbing headlines Simon Zebo is he pushing back to finally get back into that <laughs> Irish squad again? There's a debate for you. Yeah. But um, look, there is. It, it's a really, really good monster side, considering what they've had and and the the troubles that they've had with their injury list to this point. But you are right. This is the last chance saloon to pull anything out of this Champions Cup campaign. It hasn't gone their way so far. So you can imagine that they're going to go down there and do and hopefully do something like they have done on French soil many times before and get a win. That squad is due to be named uh, next week. Do, do, is it on players' minds, do you think, this weekend now? They, is it too late to make yes. an impact? No, it's not too late. Uh, they, Farrell will have, obviously, the, the core of his squad will be in his head. There's no doubt about that. But, um, you know, there's still opportunity. You know, like for the likes of, of Zebo, like as these injuries mm. happen, you know, I, the likelihood of it is, I, look, I don't know. There's there's plenty of players coming in who can step into that breach. But, um, you know, it, it, I would like to think that there's still that carrot dangling in front of quite a few guys, um, you know, playing this weekend. And the amazing day of rugby we're going to have tomorrow, that's, um, there's plenty of squad positions still available. And a good performance over these two weeks should you know, if if it is someone, if the opportunity is there, they've got to believe that if they play well, they have a chance of getting into that squad. Yeah, Andy Farrell, lots for him to think about. That squad announcement is next Wednesday afternoon, so we'll be looking forward to that for the Six Nations. Um, Ulster Toulouse tomorrow night at uh, eight o'clock. They're very familiar with each other now, but from from an Ulster point of view, yeah, is it just trying to get the performance, the consistency, play the way that they have shown in the last few weeks that they're capable of? You and I talked about this, what mm-hmm. was it, a few weeks ago. It's the consistency is is their Achilles heel. It really is. It's just that they can't seem to manage to just maintain it throughout a season. 
and they have huge uh, highs and lows, dips and troughs throughout. Look, they they the last outing against Leinster, they played well, and they they are trying to attack. They're playing a good brand of rugby at the moment. There's a nice balance between attack and play. And um, Billy Burns obviously was pulling the strings magnificently against uh, Leinster. And if that continues, you know, it is a big task. There's no doubt about it. Toulouse are well used to travelling up to a sold-out Ravenhill. There's no doubt about that. But they, they really do have an ability in Belfast to get these results and um, if they're still on a high if that great form has continued right the way through the break last week that we had and it's been managed well you know it could be a very very good day out for them Do you think it'll be a good day out for Connacht against Leon? We know that they're capable of fighting for their lives but will they be able to mm. do it when they take on Leon? But that's what they, they you've just named mm. it there they are fighting for their lives they're sitting at the bottom of the group at the moment now with Leon again okay it's it's away it's over there but Leon are second from the bottom in, in the top 14 they are a side that if uh, Connacht play the way that we know that they can play they could get the win but they need to play better than they have played in the uh, in the Champions Cup to, to date it's been a bit, a bit of a disappointment really for the way it's gone for them so far so you would be hoping that the sense of the occasion and to get themselves off that bottom place in the group, this is a good opportunity to go. Even though it is away in France, they're picking a, a good, strong side. And um, I suppose the eyebrows raise Hannah and starting at 15, and which will give another option for the kicking with Jack Carty. But, uh, you know, they would need to have a good performance to go there. But Leon are a side that are very, very beatable, even though it is the home for them. From the predictions point of view, which Irish mm. provinces will get the wins, do you think? <laughs> um, well, Leinster, obviously, because Stad are sending over a side that isn't exactly, uh, mm-hmm. you know, full of setting the world alight or whatever way you want to say it. Um, Munster can, although it's doubtful because it's down in Toulon. It is a real, uh, it's a hard task even with the side that they are managing to put together. I fancy Ulster because they they know they have a knack of beating the French sides at home. And, um, you know, I, I think that they will do it. And Connacht, they just have to do it. You know, so um, it, it, the, the form that they've had, I don't know, I think I'm going to go for two and two. I, I, <laughs> I, yeah. Split it. It's it's hard. Listen, there's plenty. It's going to be fantastic days of rugby, yeah. and um, and there's always you know, going to be ability. an upset somewhere along the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully the upset is an Irish side yeah, winning. Exactly that. That's what we want. And just before we finish up uh, this evening, Shane yeah. Andy Farrell, new Lions head coach, which everybody expected, mm. but now the questions are ra- being raised about what should happen with the Ireland setup. What do you think should happen there? Oh, it's quite simple. Simon needs to be. Um, steps into the role there. Um, there's a chance that Paul O'Connell might have a role within the line setup, although I wouldn't think so. I'd say they would hold him with Ireland. But, um, you know, there's plenty of experience there. John Fogarty's been there. Andrew Goodman now coming in from Leinster. There's, there's, you know, there's plenty of experience there. I, I don't think, look, it'll be hard for the Six Nations that we will miss him from. Mm-hmm. And the tour that happens during the, the Lions 
normally isn't the hardest. I, I don't know quite which one it is, but it's a great honour for uh, Farrell. And I, the minute I heard that the, it was a four-year contract he'd signed with Ireland, I, I assumed that this would have already been discussed. And there was really only one option for the Lions to be picking, considering his record, despite the disappointment we had in the, the World Cup, he still is the of the home unions, he's the um, you know, the only option really. And um I think Ireland will do perfectly fine with the setup that's there. And uh Simon Easterby should pick up uh, the mantle for the period that he's away with the Lions. Yeah, I'm sure they have all their structures in place and their processes and all of that. Uh Shane thank you so much. Enjoy the weekend. No Enjoy the Take reunion. care, you too. <laughs> Talk yes, to you soon. Will. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome back. Alan Cawley has joined me in a studio. Alan, you were glued to the snooker. Bring us up to speed. I was a little late tonight. Sorry, Marie. I apologise. Right. I was busy. I was watching the um, snooker and it was absolutely gripping as it always tends to be Marie not the best match in, in the world in terms of quality but always drama always entertaining and Ali Carter grounded out shall we say he was 5-4 down um, Trump missed frame ball match ball really the red should have potted it and it should have been game over but an unbelievable clearance from Carter to bring it back to 5 all, and then held his nerve with an unbelievable break in the final frame to the cider and gets him into the semi-final and I like Ali Carter he's fought back from a lot he's had a lot of adversity in his life um, beat cancer twice Marie for people that don't know and fell out of the top 16 but he's fought his way back and here he is now in the semi-final of the Masters and fair play to him so there's all this great snooker going on and Ronnie O'Sullivan is grabbing the headlines for his comments <laughs> about the Ali Pali. Yeah. He said it is dirty and it makes him feel ill. I read that this morning. Doesn't yeah. like been there. No problem. I've never been there. No, but have it's you just, not? No, I've never been there. to Ali Pali. No, the Crucible is the the Crucible is the dream place, Marie. But um, yeah, it's just off the back of the darts as well. So I'm not sure if that <laughs> is linked to it as well. But he he did come out and he obviously had a go today, Ronnie. He'd a right uh, go, yeah. Wouldn't be like him, to be honest with you. But he got through yesterday against Barry Hawkins. Didn't play well. And he's playing Sean Murphy now in the semi-final. And Sean Murphy is playing probably the best snooker I've seen so far in the tournament. He was unbelievable against Jack Lazowski last night. And spoke a lot about even... Um, his New Year routine. Normally, they kind of tend to take Christmas off and the New Year take a bit of a break. He worked all through Christmas. He only took Christmas Day and New Year's Day off and he's reaping the rewards of it now because he's playing great stuff. So that'd be a hell of a semi-final uh, between O'Sullivan and Murphy. And the other qu- last quarter final is Selby and Mark Allen. That's on tonight and the winner plays Ali Carter. Right, well, I wonder will they be uh, cleaning it out for him now? <laughs> <laughs> Although he says, in fairness, that he's a bit of a clean freak and he it gives him the heebie-jeebies because yeah. it's so so dirty. But I'd find it well, very Have you seen the film, O'Sullivan? No, but you told me it's, it's brilliant. It's amazing, Maria. Yeah, so yeah. I will watch it yeah. uh, when I get a bit of time. We're going to turn our attention to Gaelic Games now. Um, big news. I think it was big enough. Anything in the happens in Donegal with Jim McGuinness, I think, is big news. But don't... Uh, Jim McGuinness had uh, been handed an eight-week ban band for fielding an ineligible player in the McKenna Cup win over Armagh. That was earlier this week. So that got a huge amount of attention. But then this morning, it emerged that he has won his appeal against the eight-week ban for fielding the ineligible player. So the player is Fimber Rortry. He was 17 at the time of the clash against Armagh, but he was deemed to be underage for the game following a meeting of the Ulster Council or the Ulster GA officials. Rortry had turned 18 the day after the the match but the rules state that all senior intercounty players must be that age by the start of the calendar year and provide for and and this ended up uh, resulting in the eight week suspension for Jim McGuinness which was overturned 
Now, we're going to find out um, exactly what happened. Uh, Chris McNulty joins us on the line now from Donegal, journalist up there. Chris, this is a bit of a strange one. Can you can you explain how this ban was overturned? Because the rules do seem very straightforward. Not everyone agrees to them, but they are the rules. Well, I suppose, Marie, looking at the GA rulebook, there, there's there's very little, actually. It, it, it's all very, you know, very detailed and it's all very black and white. But when you come into it, it's, you know, it's actually anything but clear. Um, you know, so we, we look at the thing that a player has to have celebrated his, eight, his or her 18th birthday by January 1st of the championship year. It's very, very clear. So, you know, under those rules, Finbar Rorty was ineligible to play against Armagh a couple of weeks ago. He was 18 the following day. But under those rules, he's ineligible. So Donegal broke the rule. Now, the, the rule caters then for the various penalties. So one of those is the forfeiture of the game. Um, and because Armagh didn't appeal it, they weren't awarded the points. The points are taken off Donegal. Finbar Rorty, the player, was suspended for two weeks. All's okay with those first two penalties. I, I don't think anyone can sort of, you know, what it, we can argue about the rule and its merits, but the rule was broken, so those two things are applied. Then the third person is that the person in charge of the team is suspended for eight weeks. So the person in charge of the team that has breached the rule is suspended for eight weeks. Now, what Donegal have argued is that in this instance, Jim McGuinness essentially okay he was the manager he managed the team on the night he takes the training session but they sort of threw a bit of doubt into who was responsible for sort of the selection or or the you know the playing of Finbar Rorty even in the panel where it was it Jim McGuinness or was it the Donegal County Secretary and they threw sufficient um, doubt on that and last night the Ulster Hearings Committee upheld that appeal and basically scrapped the eight-week suspension for Jim McGuinness. What's the reaction been um, up around there to 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 this whole saga now? Because it feels like a bit of a saga. Very early now to have a saga, I must say. It is funny. I think maybe we put a commentator's curse in this, Marie, when we spoke in the wake of that game and we said we were delighted not to be talking about controversy when it came to Donegal and, and yet here we are. But do you know what? The reaction, and, and, and I think Alan and the guys talked about this a, f- a few days back where, you know... It, the rule itself, like Finbar Rorty is now a grown man of 18 years of age and yet can't play senior inter-county football until the 1st of January next year. But a fellow now, say, in the same boat as Finbar Rorty, who celebrates his 18th birthday on December the 30th or 31st, can then play on the 1st of, of January. It's it, it seems all a bit mad, you know, where, where a grown man who's come out of minor level, he, he's over age for, for, for the minors and can't just step into senior level for, for now a full 12 months. It's, it seems a bit absurd, that rule. And and then this whole thing about, you know, who's in charge of the team. Like, a, you know, just talking to one of the producers, Marie, off air, and I think it's 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 something maybe that, that the GA, with all their systems and all their sort of modern-day technology and approaches to things, should should possibly look at. And, you know, maybe, you know, people in the GA don't, don't like sort of being, you know, when they say we should take suggestions from other sport. But I think... I manage a football team up, up here, Marie, an intermediate women's women's football team, and the FAI have introduced a, a system. You know, it's a, a bit frustrating for people like myself who manage a team, but basically, it, it's it's an app that you go into before a game, maybe an hour or two hours before the game, and you select your panel for that evening's game or that afternoon's game, and you simply cannot select any player who's ineligible. So basically. You sign your players, you register your players, or you bring them up from the underage systems or whatever it is, but the actual thing won't allow you to select a player at all if they're ineligible. But the GA appear 
to still be using sort of the pen and paper method of this. And it, it's probably something, you know, I mean, this rule, I think, was brought in in 2016. And, like, for somebody like Jim McGuinness, you know, I, I would actually give, give Jim a pardon on this one where, you know, he probably thought, look, the guy's 18 tomorrow, of course. You know, it's, it's sort of people don't think that you're going to be underage for something that's sort of traditionally in sport. We always talk about, you know, players, you know, or teams feeding overage players. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm presuming that, that Jim just thought this guy, he's, he's 18 tomorrow, he's going to be grand. And obviously, on, under rule, he wasn't. Alan Cawley's with us. Yeah, I thought this was ridiculous during the week when I said it. Mm. More so about, well, two reasons. Um, one, obviously the fact that Jim was the one that got banned, I thought was a little bit bizarre because to me, it seems like an administration type thing that they should be on top of that and Jim should be given to players that obviously are eligible, as Chris said, and then he picks a squad and he goes from there. The other thing then is if you flip it on to and move it on, I suppose, the argument to the football side of things, that you're restricting young lads that, might be 16, 17, 18 if they are outstanding I know the rules were brought in in terms of trying to protect young players and burnout and he didn't want players playing under 16 and minor and senior and playing college football as well and whatever the case may be but if I'm Jim McGuinness and there's a 17 year old superstar and I want them in my mm-hmm. squad I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be able to pick him and go on and play in the squad he should be restricting talent I don't think Connor Bradley when he was playing for Liverpool and um, this uh, ban had happened with uh, Finber Rortry somebody did make that comparison like if it was Conor Bradley how can he can go on and play men's football at his age and, and th- th- somebody did make the point then that um, he wouldn't be playing everything else so like he's just going to be playing for Klopp in yeah. that team and everything will be managed but, but then the obvious issues if you're, yeah. you're playing and I think that again teams. comes down to maybe the likes of Jim or some senior figure in Donegal or the county board to try and protect that young lad rather than flogging him but as you say in a professional elite club like Liverpool where they are protecting him and looking after him uh, that's the case for they're not really like for like but I think with the GEA if there's a young player like that that Jim feels good enough to introduce and wants to make him as part of his squad I so, see no reason as to why you should be restricting young players from advancing up mm. if they're good enough. Okay. Anything else happening, Chris? No, I mean, uh, I think <laughs> that's, that, that's a very good, you know, it's a, it's a very good point Alan makes. And if you look like even from a Donegal perspective, two of the best forwards that Donegal have had over the last 20 years, Michael Murphy and Patrick McBerty, each came in to both the squad and the team at 17. And, you know, it was a case where Patrick actually played a minor game um, against Antrim uh, one Sunday in 2011 and then he came on as a substitute for the senior team all of that was very carefully sort of manufactured and created so, so as not to have him flog we look at the guy Rory Finneran last week for Blackburn in the mm. FA Cup I mean you spoke about Conor Brett like even Evan Ferguson go back to his time with Bohemians like it's not something I don't think like you know rules like this they're they're sort of to prevent the exceptions rather than the actual rules like I mean it's not if this rule wasn't in place, like it's not as if Jim McGuinness is going to be going out or any other intercounty manager and playing a deluge of 16, 17-year-olds next week, you know. And I think, as Alan said there, look, if, if people, particularly when they're touching the 18th birthday, I mean, it's different if you go down to maybe 14, 15-year-olds, but when a guy's 17, he's, he's celebrating his 18th birthday tomorrow, it just seems a bit bizarre that, that he and, and his team and his manager are sanctioned. Okay, interesting stuff, that's for sure. Uh, Thank you so much, as always, Chris. We're going to take a very quick break, but do stay with us. We're going to be speaking about all the weekend's horse racing with Jane Mangan. And, of course, Alan Cawley has some football views. Game on on 2FM. Now we are turning our attention to racing. Jane Mangan joins us on the line. Jane, how are things? I'm very well, and it's great to have you back, Marie. You've been skiving there on the television. It's nice to bring you back down 
down to the radio. Yeah, I've been taking it. I've been taking it easy now. You know, I'm going over to the world of TV where you get pampered, as you well know. <laughs> Jane. Oh, well, I heard you had a surprise 21st there recently, which is nice I didn't get invited. Jane, I wasn't invited either, and I'm not happy. And you've been doing plenty of skiving on TV over the Christmas yeah. as well. well. If you want to come to my birthday parties, you have to join the mothers and others. <laughs> Al, I don't know if we take you. We take you now, Jane, all right? I, I don't know what that says about me and Alan. The difference is... You have something to offer, Jane. I'd say you'd be a good cornerback. Did you ever play football, oh. Jane? I, I never did um, to be honest even at the camogie I wasn't that great because the horses kept getting in the way and mm. you know weekends in sport mm. we get it Jane we get it anyway you had uh, racing today in Nace Lawler's novice hurdle the big one um, yeah good day out it was it was the restage Lawler's you'll recall last Sunday was a bit foggy and uh, despite running one race they didn't get to run their feature and it didn't disappoint it, it, it promised a lot it looked like it was going to be very informative and it was Paul Townend had the choice of a quartet of Willie Mullins runners and he picked Il Atlantique and he picked wrong because at the line with a furlong to run it looked like he was going to make all of the running but reading Tommy wrong and Daryl Jacob uh, basically wore him down between the last and the line uh, it was heavy ground it was a real proper test uh, Firefox a horse that is highly regarded from Gordon Elliott he was disappointing he could only manage fourth in the end uh, Lecky Watson actually completing a 1-2-3 for William Williams in the race but um, it's unusual to have a grade one run on a Friday but of course it was it was supposed to be the star attraction last Sunday those who had paid to get in last Sunday had a free entry to the to the races today and uh, yeah, it it was a good race, but it wasn't one that the punters got right because the winner was sixteen to one. All right. Yeah, I, it was a surprise, wasn't it? A real surprise, Jane, because uh, as you says, Paul Townend chose wrong, and it looked like turning in. Obviously, Firefox, a couple of them coming to challenge, but it looked like he was pulling away from them all. But as you say, just Daryl Jacob and Rome down at the end. Do you like yeah, the, I'd say the, the the winner's probably the stare of the field, guys, because he didn't look like he was going to get there until maybe 100 or 200 yards from the line. And I'd say the, the horse that eventually finished second might have more pace than him, but in the conditions, the soft ground, the way the races run, maybe it was suitable for the stamina horse. But he's won his last three races, so it's not like his form wasn't there. It was just a case of the yard confidence was behind the other horse. Do you like the grade ones on Friday night? Uh, do I like the great ones on a Friday night? They're unusual, but to give us something to talk about, Marie. Mm, absolutely, I'd be all for that now. Okay, so tomorrow then, uh, Jane, Fairy House, what can we look forward to? Yeah, it's the Dan and Joan Moore. It's it's a, a handicap chase over two miles, but it's quite an illustrious race and it's worth a good bit of money as well. It's, it's uh, graded as a grade three. And Gavin Cromwell has the favourite. Let's be clear about it. it was last time seen finishing third in the Drinmore behind I Am Maximus, a horse who's, who actually subsequently ran well in the... Um, Savile's Chase at Leopardstown and of course the horse that was second that day was found a 50 this guy was third found a 50 won a grade one since and that's why this was the top of the market he's heading what looks like a good field Chavez is actually second favourite ahead of Uncle Phil even though Paul Townend has picked Uncle Phil uh, Whiskey Wealth is in there for Terence O'Brien that'll be a huge win for the Cork trainer if he could manage to win the race and Lucid Dreams for John Ryan down there in Tipperary he disappointed at Limerick at Christmas um, but he's much better than that than, than that run I think if he can come back to the day he ran close to Imagine at Fairy House that would give Lucid Dreams a good each way chance but the favourite is there on that Drinmore run it's a standout piece of form and what about Sunday then at Punchestown 
Yeah, the the Punchestown card. So there's Sunday and Monday, but it looks like Sunday is definitely the the star attraction. The Moscow Flyer novices hurdle was won by Ampere Pass last year. We all know what he did at Cheltenham subsequently, and Willie Mullins this time around is doubly represented. He's got Mystical Power, the Galileo out of Annie Power, unbeaten in two starts, and he's got Lombron. But I like Mystical Power. I liked what I saw from him at Galway, and I think he could be very very exciting. And earlier, just a half an hour earlier on that same card is the uh, Skybet Novice Chase, the Grade 3. It features Imagine and Silent Approach, Splans Tower and Monbeck Park. But probably most pertinently, it, it features Blood Destiny. He looks like he could be very good over fences. He was a decent juvenile last year. He pulled too hard in the triumph. But when he made his chase debut at Nace last time, he was a little bit breathtaking he's odds on currently and he could be an Arkle contender Marine National of course being the anti-poster for the Arkle at Cheltenham but this guy watch him at one o'clock on, on Sunday and see if he can throw his hat into that ring um, Anything else Jane before we finish up? Uh, well I do I would like to mention there's actually a very good race in, in the UK tomorrow from I think it's Kempton and we have an Irish protagonist in it Bambridge is currently favoured for the Sylvaniaco Conti Grade 2 uh, for jo- JJ Slevin and Joseph O'Brien. But Edward Stone is very interesting because he's the former Arkle winner going up to two and a half miles as a 10-year-old. Pick Dory is in the race and the Irish runner, other Irish runner is Janet Brian He is going up to write in for JP McManus and Willie Mullins. So that's at two o'clock tomorrow from Kempton. And you know, us Irish, we do love to go to the UK and bring home some sterling. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Jane, thank you so much. Enjoy the weekend and we will talk to you again next week if we're lucky. Absolutely. <laughs> talk to you soon, Jane. We're going to take a very quick break and then we'll be turning our attention to football with Alan Cawley and Fergal Bryan. Game on on 2FM. Now, welcome back. We're turning our attention to football. Alan Cawley is with me in studio. Alan, the news today that's definitely um, captured people's attention is Evan Ferguson been linked mm. with Chelsea and the £100 million price tag that is going alongside his name. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I saw some of this, Marie. Um, and as you say, a lot of speculation about it at the moment because I suppose we're in that month when there is transfers and plenty being talked about. And he's always going to be linked with, with one of the big clubs. I think that's the potential that's in him but I can't see this happening I think Chelsea are probably crazy enough to make it happen um, as you say with the money and the, the money they've been throwing at things in recent times but I just think Brighton will have kind of they'll know what's best for for their own club and for Evan Ferguson himself um, and I'd be very surprised if this was to happen and I don't think it would be the right thing for Evan right now in his development as well Marie um, now you could argue that Will a club turn down 100 million, 110 million? And, and, and I would argue that. <laughs> yeah, and that's a fair argument as well, as you say, because um, it's an awful lot of money, especially for a young kid who's yet to fulfill his potential. So if you were tr- throwing that money at somebody, of course they're going to mm. maybe turn their head. But I'd be very, very surprised. And I hope it doesn't happen. I think he's best off where he is at the moment, uh, learning the game, still developing in a really good environment. And let him stay there for another two couple of seasons, I, I would suggest, and then maybe move on. Fergal Brennan is with us on the line as well. Fergal, do you think we will see Evan Ferguson heading to Chelsea? No, I'd, I'd agree with Alan completely. We, we want him playing in the best environment that he can possibly be at this stage of his career and in his future career. I think right now Brighton absolutely is the best place for that. Um, and, and I think given his potential ceiling where we, we think he's going, where we hope he's going in terms of the player that he's going to continue to develop into, Chelsea also have to prove themselves that they are 
in right environment for that, not just for him, but for any promising young player that is coming from within the Premier League or from abroad. Uh, and they're not at the moment. Um, Mauricio Pochettino is doing his best, but they're still incredibly inconsistent. It's still an environment filled with uncertainty in terms of how players can continue their trajectory within their career. So no, when, when I look at the kind of top four, top six and the options for Evan further down the line, because we know the likelihood is he's not going to be at Brighton forever. Chelsea are not somebody right now um, that that I would be wanting to see him go to um, because I think it will be a it will be a, I honestly think it will be a backward step um, in terms of where he wants to be and where his future should be. I think Pochettino would be good if mm. he were just isolated like that, but mm. it's a madhouse Chelsea. And again, as Fergal said, you, you just you couldn't bank on anything going there in terms of if you were looking at a pathway or project projection in terms of where you want to be in the year or where that club's going to be. It's just so chaotic and so kind of inconsistent on and off the pitch in terms of planning and where they're going and what they want to do and what they want to achieve. Um, the influx of players, players going out the door it would be the wrong place for him especially a young player with the potential that he has that we feel he has to be going on to bigger and better things I think he could get just caught up in the madness of that place and they haven't taken any risks with him yet and this would be a risk so why would you why would you that would that? be a big risk yeah, to me yeah absolutely yeah. we're going to get on to the Premier League in just a few minutes and we're also going to go um, cross over to the Bernie Luton game but just on the AFCON Alan I haven't actually sat down and went through the form yet um, but of course huge amount of interest in Egypt and Mo Salah and Senegal and Mane how do you think it's going to go for for Mo Salah over there yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I was reading something yesterday, Marie, and I thought this was absolute bonkers where people in Egypt are still unsure of Salah and is he world-class or is he not? They obviously haven't been watching much of the Premier League over the last few years. Yeah, I was reading that, yeah, where there's still question marks over him, uh, which seems absolutely bizarre and bonkers. It's a tournament that I always find <coughs> the early stages it's never the best quality but as the tournament goes on and as it progresses that you start to get your teeth into it when we get to the latter stages and of course because of the interest that we have and in some of the players that are playing over there um, for their respective nations I think as the tournament goes on that's when we will get a greater interest in it so it's not something that I'd be marking down in my diary wanting to watch every group game because some of the group games are very very poor with the countries that are involved in me but as I say as we get to the latter stages and the likes of Salah with Egypt or wherever the case may be I think that's when we will get our teeth into it Fergal Yeah I, I think it's difficult with Salah because as much as you don't want to say it's him light years ahead of the rest of his team it's difficult to not come to that kind of conclusion he is so good and the standard of teammates are so far behind. They're still a capable international side. They've qualified. They'll be expected, I think, probably to get into the knockout stages, but I don't really know how much further than that. Um, but so much is resting on him. Obviously, his age, he's 31. Potential that it could be his last AFCON. I know, I know they do it every two years, so that, that might not be the case. But um, there's a lot of responsibility on his shoulders, and he's been in red-hot form for Liverpool so far this season, but it's very difficult to just pick that up and transfer that to, to his national side. Um, Senegal, defending champions, would be would be quite strong. Nigeria have got a very, very um, good attackers available. Um, it'll be, I, I would agree with Alan. It, it, we probably will take a bit of a backseat until the knockout stages, um, but I think it'll be difficult for, for Egypt and Salah because they are very reliant on him. I did hear comments from him actually as well, Marie, during the week or a couple of weeks back. And just in terms of for anybody 
I suppose over here with their rose tinted glasses on in terms of Liverpool or Man United or whoever, whatever teams they support and don't want their players going over there the players themselves like Salah is absolutely desperate to go over and perform really well and achieve representing his country and it really means it really means a lot for them so um, for anybody like obviously they'll be mm. desperate to get him back Liverpool and the fans and getting him back as quickly as possible and, and miss the least amount of matches as possible but for the players themselves this is like any any player representing their country they're mad mm, for it like. of course they are yeah okay we'll uh, check back in with that so maybe when the competition gets a little bit um, let's get gets going and further along and we'll see how everything is going uh, we're going to hear to turf, turf more though uh, Peter Smith is at Burnley versus Luton and um, Peter do you have some team news? Yeah, just getting the uh, team news together for the uh, Burnley-Luton game. Two teams who won championship promotion together and two who quite feasibly returned there. Both commencing play in the relegation zone. Burnley's top flight worst ever of nine home defeats from ten seasons, then five points from safety. Luton have produced a recent upturn, winning two of their last three Premier League games. Another win tonight, though, would see them move out of the bottom three. As regards team selection, well, for Burnley, Aldakiel, Ekdal and Cullen are in with um, those players who welcome back after uh, various injuries. And I can just see you looking through the Luton team. Uh, Alan Zogbeni is in this side as well. I think two changes for the Luton Town side, just formulating the... Uh, Two, lots of team changes but certainly a key game tonight in the relegation battle Luton Town style has been a little bit more up and at them than Burnley so we're still trying to play Brazil 1970s style football and it backfiring at times very very badly indeed <laughs> I love that and uh, Vincent Company makes no um, makes no uh, apologies for um for any uh, football that he... It's uh, more Zimbabwe 1970s yeah. at the moment than Brazil Yeah, he has a way in a philosophy. Uh, that's good that Albenia is in as well. I'm just uh, We're talking about transfers here and, and you know, we're very caught up in the Evan Ferguson links with Chelsea. But what about Manchester, Peter? I know you're always on the ground there and have a good insight into what's happening. I think the big story today, well, not a big story, I think there's quite a lot of relief around Old Trafford that Jadon Sancho has gone back to Borussia Dortmund, but that just continues to rage on about what an embarrassment he's been and the dispute that he had between himself and Ten Hag and the fact that United are still paying a considerable chunk of his wages to go back and play in Bundesliga football, but he's won off the wage bill for the time being of, of sorts, uh, so maybe another body would possibly come in. Now, obviously, Jim Ratcliffe's making a a big noise and a big impression on a charm offensive I think it would be more a player just to come in to boost numbers rather than it being a marquee signing I know that Jim Ratcliffe wants to sign big in the summertime and I think we will see big names and attractive and expensive transfers but I think for now if somebody comes in it'll just be a fairly straightforward squad booster transfer um, Manchester City don't expect an awful lot Burnley expect probably late in the day but I think they'll continue buying potential rather than ready-made can't help thinking that they've got it factored into their planning that another season back in the championship to come back to the Premier League wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing okay thank you so much for that enjoy the game we'll be keeping an eye on it as well we'll talk to you very very soon Alan some big games this weekend mm. as well and 
you can't really look past um, Man United and Spurs on Sunday um, from a Man United uh, supporters perspective Alan how are you feeling about that one <laughs> I'm more a Spurs fan now than Man United yeah, to be honest you, you kind of flip flop a bit don't I, you well the little lad you know yourself Marie. yeah I do um, but yeah it's very hard obviously when you look at Man United it's very hard to get excited or hopeful like they've been so inconsistent we've discussed this numerous times over and over and the same conversation seems to be kind of regurgitated a lot around Man United um, you go back to their last league game obviously against Forest 2-1 defeat away from home as well very very poor they did play in the cup during the week Monday night um, made heavy weather of it they were dominant but missed a lot of chances weren't clinical enough in front of goal particularly Hoyland obviously he's come in for a bit of stick as well because of the price tag um, you just don't know Man United but in terms of looking at the game on Sunday against Spurs and obviously Spurs have got themselves right back on track as well mm-hmm. and done a great job when you think that they're still carrying a lot of those injuries Van de Veen is only back since last weekend was on the bench Madison is still out Romero's missed a lot of football um, so I think he's done a phenomenal job not just obviously in the early part when he was getting all the rave reviews past the Coglu and the football but even more so since they've lost the injuries as well that he's been able to maintain it somewhat uh, especially after that blip as well that we've seen Marie so they've really got themselves back on track uh, won in the cup as well against Burnley so it's very very hard to fancy Man United against anybody <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't fancy them against Spurs Fergal yeah it, it's, it's very typical of Man United that we, we have another game even though they're at home and we just can't really predict how it's going to go I think they've got such a contrasting record this season they get six home wins and four home defeats in the Premier League and if you were to give that number you could kind of guess that that was any team in the Premier League it's not something that you'd associate with Manchester United but that is the case this season as for Spurs as, as Alan mentioned they do still have injury issues but slowly starting to clear up but you possibly could say the same for United Ericsson Hag said in his press conference today that Lissandro Martinez Casemiro and Luke Shaw are getting closer um, but then he also kind of said we haven't made a decision on whether they're going to come back so it's difficult to know how much stock you can put into that Spurs obviously can look forward to seeing Timo Werner um, I wouldn't be sure if he'll start but I imagine Ange Postacoglu is ready to throw him in and, and give him some action um, the other guy they've signed Radu Dragazan paperwork I think the last I've heard this afternoon is still being wrapped up so it, that will be a bit of a late call whether he's actually eligible to play or not um, I just think United's issues remain they, they, Sancho is, is a big one that they've offloaded but they've only put it on the back burner he is going to come back they're obviously contributing a lot of his wages um, and he hasn't played for months so the reason United's form has been poor is is nothing to do with Jaden Sancho it's to do with the players that are playing and Eric Ten Hag and, and that just hasn't resolved itself as Alan mentioned the Wigan game was a perfect example of that they got through but they needed a relatively contentious penalty and it, it could have gone in the other direction Wigan had a couple of chances and, and could have taken it to a replay Alan Newcastle City tomorrow at half five does De Bruyne start for City and who misses out? I don't think he'll start Marie I'd be surprised I still think they'll nurse him back uh, and he won't throw him in especially in a game as tough as Newcastle um, so I'd say we'd probably see him off the bench as well now he played very well when he came off albeit against Huddersfield um, and they were in total control of the match so it was very easy to come on in a game like that but in the cut and trust of a Premier League game against the likes of Newcastle I don't think he'll, st- he'll start him he just won't risk him but in terms of the bigger picture and him getting back to full fitness and how ominous that looks for the other teams and the form that they've been in in recent weeks as well Marie I think it's been really really good Haaland I think is due to come back next weekend as well um, Foden has been in absolutely imperious form you love Foden I love Foden yeah he's my man I do I love Foden he's absolute 
sensational player and uh, he's been he's been the star man really since Haaland's been out De Bruyne has been out so um, I'm looking forward to the game because I'd love to see Newcastle at full tilt take on City because I think they could trouble them but because of the troubles that they've had over recent weeks as well um, I just think City will be too strong Everton, Villa, uh, three straight Premier League losses for Everton. No win in five in all comps. Aston Villa also have dipped a little bit. But what about Seamus Coleman, Fergal? He is set for a Premier League appearance number 355. That is amazing. Wow. It is. Uh, and and that will be the record. He's level with Tim Howard as it is. Uh, all the signs point to the fact too that he's going to start against Villa because Ashley Young is out injured. He, he played the cup game against Palace, Coleman, and I think it's fully deserved. Um, I've been speaking to Evertonians of different vintages over the last few weeks as he's got closer to the to the record. Um, and I think in terms of as a Premier League player, he has been Everton's number one. I think it's fully deserved. His longevity, his quality, his leadership. Um all time you could obviously you go back to, to the 80s and Neville Southall and players like that but in terms of the Premier League era it has been Seamus Coleman completely um, and he still is producing he's, he's 35 years of age and he's still a Premier League level defender he's still massively important for Everton um, and this record has been a long time coming obviously the, the injury at the back end of last season delayed it Um but I imagine he'll kind of take it in the way that he takes everything of just, yeah, thanks very much for the accolade. We've got 90 minutes in front of us. Let's go and get a result. Um, and it'd be the most Seamus Coleman way to celebrate being Seamus Coleman yeah. ever. Yeah, and I think everybody is very proud of him and all that he's achieved for sure. Um, Fergal Allen, that is all we have time for. Thank you so much as always. Alan, enjoy the weekend. I'm you sure too, Marie. And watching. happy birthday. Thank you very much. And you. We're yes. around the same. There we you go. We kept it quiet. Yeah. That's, we did a Seamus Coleman birthday this year. We kept it quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and it wouldn't be like us, eh, to be fair. Uh, now, we are uh, we are finished for this evening. Blonde and Tracy uh, with the official chart show is up next.